Hey guys, welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. Um, today it's not about me. It's about a man who I've I've seen from afar and I've been impressed with for a while. And everyone knows that when I find someone who I class as a good trainer, I always want to shine light on them because there are a lot of guys who pretend to be good trainers. There are a lot of guys who pretend to know about boxing. Some of these guys even make a living on British TV screens, as we well know. So I just wanted to find someone who I respected as a trainer, whose views on the sport I respect, but more importantly, as boxing fans, you'll enjoy listening to. So I just want to introduce a man whose career I've kind of watched from a distance and have a lot of respect for. Uh, it's Mr. Greg Hackett, trainer, boxer still, just about, and occasional television commentator. And really today, I wanted to bring that feel of Philadelphia, you know, because I get a lot of questions asked about what makes Philadelphia unique and so forth. So I thought I'd bring, I'd bring someone who's at the heart of Philadelphia right now, and you can just hear him talk. And I think the important thing for me is to play the background, and you guys are going to enjoy having Mr. Greg Hackett on. So, Greg, welcome. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I really do. Nah, look, I've wanted to do this for a while. In fact, if you remember, I wanted to be out in Philadelphia, but then you ended up being in L.A. when I had the window to come over. Right, right, right. But then you were having more fun in L.A., so I thought, let me just step back here and just just let him you know, enjoy that sunshine. Nah, it was okay. We could have did it over there, too. It didn't matter. Probably, but to be honest... I, this is something I actually wanted to do in person. I would, have, I would have just brought the kit over and done it in person. Oh, man, that would have been love. That might still happen. Listen, this, I, I, in my head, I think this is just the first of many. Yes, sir. I hope, I hope so. So, so. So I gave a bit of an overview. So, so one of the things I find strange is, and over the time I've, I've sort of said, who is Greg Hackett? And I'll listen to you talk, and I'll watch, and then, some, then I think I heard somewhere, you'd only had 15 amateur fights. And I was like, how on earth has he garnered so much knowledge so quickly with so few fights? Because, for example, we've got a kid in our gym, Charlie. And Charlie must be on 100 fights now. And I don't think he could speak mm. about boxing the way you do. Mm. So, I think, yeah. Now, I was going to say, so, so, so that, that's what makes me think there's something in that Philadelphia water. Oh, yeah. It's it's not it's not just the water. It's like that's the that's the tradition in Philly. Like before you do anything, you gotta like learn how to fight, and and it's more important on the street than it is even the ring. The ring is important too, but <clears throat> you gotta learn just to even like protect yourself. You know what I mean? So when you get in the when you get in the um in the, to the gym, you're already a little mean and you're already a little tough because you didn't you know you didn't gain some street experience. Like, when I got in the gym at 12 years old, I probably had already been in probably like 100 street fights. You know what I'm saying? I can't really count, but it was a lot of fights for me to be only 12 years old. And then the the knowledge comes from when I got in the gym, there were guys like Joe and Jeff Chandler who had, uh, what he had, 30, I think 33 wins as an amateur, I mean, as a pro, two, two losses and two draws or one draw. And... He only had two amateur fights, and he turned pro after two amateur fights, and he became bantamweight champion of the world. And then he had a guy in a gym named, by the name of Matthew Saad Muhammad, who was like a great journeyman. You know what I'm saying? He had like a 50-50 record, but he was just he was tough as nails. You know what I mean? So that's like where the education came from. You know what I mean? Talking to guys like them every day. 
Oh, so you got to spend time with him because I remember he had a great fight with it was was it Dwight Braxton back then or Dwight Carwe back then? Yeah, I think they were still calling him Braxton maybe at the time. Yeah, and you watch those fights and you and you realize, you know, they were just cut from a different cloth back then. Yeah, like my trainer, like my trainer wasn't even a guy who was a boxing guy. He was a street guy, but he loved boxing and he 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 was taught some boxing in jail. And he was he even trained guys while he was in jail. So then I think he when he came home he just made it a thing where he would train fighters. So that's how he was friends with like Matthew Sa Muhammad and and uh and Joe and Jeff Chandler. So when they came in the gym, uh Matthew was training a guy by the name of Will Stretch Taylor. And then uh when uh when Jeff came in the gym, he was more like just looking for something to do with his afternoons. You know what I'm saying? He was just looking to kill time. So, like, Jeff Jeff coming in the gym and Matthew coming in the gym, that just gave me, like, a different outlook on boxing to have guys who were champion or fought on championship caliber, like, close to me and actually sitting there talking to them and, and soaking up the knowledge. Like, that shit was, like, it was crazy being a kid, you know? So, so you went into the gym at 12, and I now know this after having coached kids for God knows how long. To start yeah. at 12 and to still be in boxing in your 30s is rare because most kids get to 12 and they'll do well and then life gets in the way. Sometimes, like especially in London, the streets get in the way. So you lose these kids for a few years. Sometimes they come back. Yeah. Sometimes they don't make it out. They don't even make it out their teens alive sometimes and it's tragic. So how was yeah. your, your amateur career? Because I don't imagine Philadelphia is all, all milk and honey. Nah, it's not easy at all. Well, like I said, the, the reason for me getting in the gym in the first place is because, you know what I mean, getting in fights in school, getting in fights in the street. So my mom, she was saying to me, well, you need to take that energy somewhere else. You know what I mean? You need to turn it into a positive. So I took it to the gym. But the problem with the gym is the gym was only from 4 to 7, like 4 to 7 or 4 to 8. So that's just 4 hours out of your 24-hour day that you're spending in the gym. Now, what am I going to do my other hours? You know what I mean? So... When I'm in school, I'm still kind of getting in trouble in school. When I'm when I'm hanging out with my friends, I'm still kind of getting in trouble hanging out with my friends. You know what I mean? Because out of my friends, like I might have had a squad of maybe like 13 guys, and only two of us had our fathers around, and my father wasn't around. You know what I'm saying? So we we got a, a group of guys that's like raising each other. So I'm still getting caught up in trouble and shit like that. So I didn't actually get my first amateur fight until I was 15 years old. Wow, that's crazy. So you had three years of training before jumping in for the first time. Yeah, just about, just about. Because I trained for about a straight year. And because I turned, I turned uh, 14. No, I turned 13 quickly after my, like, after my, because I started boxing, like, maybe July of 2000. Maybe, might have been 99 or 2000. I can't forget the year. I mean, I, yeah, I can't remember the year. But, um... I turned 13, I boxed for like a straight year until I was 14. Then I got in trouble in school real bad. I got in some fights. And my mom sent me to another state down in Maryland with my dad. Now, things didn't turn out good down there. I boxed a little bit down in Maryland for about probably two months. And then I, um, I came back to Philly when I was 15. And then I quickly had my first fight. Oh, wow. And, and, and it's this weird thing about those teenage years because I've seen this one firsthand where you have a kid come in the gym, insecure, had a hard time at school, was just knocking around in the streets, as we say in England. You'll teach him to box. You'll get to a good level. 
and then he yeah. becomes almost like like the equalizer and he goes out and he just goes back to to even all the odd scores so we 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 remember yeah. we had we had a couple of kids like that they learned to box and we're thinking do you know what these guys might win us some championships and then get a phone call from one of their lawyers saying no nope, he's been arrested for assault and what he'd been doing was going around to all the guys that had bullied him and just knocking them clean out yeah, and you yeah. realize that's one of the things where in your teenage years you get given this really powerful tool called boxing, and then you yeah. go, "Am I really mature enough to deal with both the good and the bad things it can give me?" And th- it, that's why, it's, and you know, you're a trainer now, so you understand it. That's why it's always important when you're in a gym to be around all the right influences because it can go one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, like, but this is my thing, right? This is what I always tell guys. The reason certain guys' careers don't flourish and, and, and turn out for the best is because boxing doesn't stop or start just at the gym. It starts at home. So I'm the oldest of three brothers. I got, I mean, I have four sons, but I got three little brothers. I'm the oldest. Now, at the, at the time when I started boxing, we were staying in a one-bedroom apartment with my mother. So that's five people in a small space. So I'm coming, I'm coming home to my brothers and my mother was sick at the time and I might have had to cook for my brothers. And then I'm just cooking whatever's in the house. So I'm not making the best of foods. I'm making like fried fish or, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm making burgers. Like I'm just making whatever I could. And to be honest with you, sometimes it wasn't enough food. So I just would feed my brothers and I would probably go to a Chinese store and get some chicken or something, or go to like a Jamaican store and get a beef patty, stuff like that. So I didn't have the best diet. So so imagine now waking up for school, and you might be waking up late because you was up all night, you know what I mean? Um, And now that I'm waking up late, I'm a little cranky, so I might not have went running like I was supposed to. Um, I might not have had the proper breakfast, you know what I mean? So all of these things, they add up to what actually turns out, you know, with your career. And, and it becomes habits. So some guys, it's not always like the streets that get them in trouble, but it's just the it's just the bad habits you pick up. You know what I mean? No, that's so true. It's you know when you look at the guy that made it and the guy that didn't make it. In the gym, there's nothing that separates them, but it's those little things. <laughs> you know, like I see the kids now, and the kids I like the most are the ones that say, "Look, can you video me sparring? Because I need to go home tonight and make sure I was doing all the right things." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's those. And the thing is, people don't realize this. If you think how many training sessions you have in your amateur career, if you're just 1% better than everyone else, it adds up at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what Andre Ward would always say. He'd always say, I wasn't the best or the most talented. I was the most dedicated and the most consistent. Yep. That's what it's about. And if you don't, if you don't have that, if you don't have that mindset, or if you're not being taught that mindset, or if you don't have anybody overseeing your career, then, you know, it'll go all over the place. It might not even start. No, absolutely. And then, so so how was your amateur career? How many how many bouts? So I had about 15 or 16 amateur fights, and I probably had a 50-50 record. I won half and, and lost half. And, and that was due to me trying to learn. Like, I really, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person who questions everything. Like, I even, have, I even have trouble with relationships because I question a lot of things. So... With my boxing career, you know, you starting off, you fighting uh, three rounds, and it's about 
At 15 years old, I think I was fighting a minute and a half. So that's actually a quick comp, you know, compared to what you're training. You in the gym, you could be training for three minutes. So getting into my first fight and it was three minutes, I mean, it was a minute and a half. I'm like, damn, it's pretty quick. So keeping up with the scoring system and keeping up with, you know what I mean, the style and all of that shit, I, I had to learn a lot with that. So, you know what I mean, that's why I think I, it turned out that way. Plus, plus, I didn't have so many fights because I, was, I spent a lot of time in the streets. I mean, a lot of time in the streets. I, I started I started selling drugs at 15. I started dealing with girls having sex at 15. You get what I'm saying? So I was a lot was going on for me at 15 years old. And I'm guessing at 15. And that's around the time when culturally Philadelphia came back. Because like I, when people say to me, culturally, what do you associate with Philadelphia? In order. Rocky, probably nothing in the 80s. Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Then just Jazzy Jeff on his own. And then around probably 2000, 2001, the whole Philadelphia thing, the whole state property, Beanie Siegel thing came up. And then suddenly, even in the UK, we're like, quite like Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So it had that cult almost like a cultural renaissance where yeah. it was a city where we all took an interest in it. And then w what we learned over time was actually Philadelphia is a pretty serious place and has been for you yeah. know as long as... As long as you've had street people there, man, it's always been a pretty serious place. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't judge any other city. I don't, I haven't stayed long enough to learn everything. But well, one thing I could definitely tell you about Philadelphia is Philadelphia is ran off of crime. Like, it's ran off of, like, the underworld. The underworld runs Philadelphia. You know what I mean? Nobody will say that, but that's, like, that's probably, like, the honest truth. You know what I mean? Which I always find interesting because... <laughs> You've got that part of Philadelphia. Then you've got Drexel. You've got Temple. You know, you've got you've got some of the high-end universities in that city as well. Yeah. Those, those are like... That's funny you said that because it's like... They're like, they're like spots that you can't... You just can't touch them. Like, you leave them alone. You know what I mean? If you know, if you know a kid goes to Temple, then you know what comes behind that if you, if you hurt that kid. So you leave them alone. You don't even bother them. But the thing is, they're taught not to not to bother the city neither so they know to leave the hood alone and the hood know to leave them alone even though temple sits right in the middle of, of the hood yeah which is what i thought so and 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 this is that's like that's a really interesting point just on a cultural level because if you look at what's happening in the uk you're almost having this this merging between the kids that come from the houses with the mercedes and the streets because of youtube essentially so now everyone thinks they can pretend to be from the streets. And then what right. happens actually is because you look like you're from the streets and you talk like you're from the streets, the streets catch up with you. Right, absolutely. So, so there was a, a scandal. I'm sidetracking here, but it, it's a story that's probably at the front of my mind. There was a young kid got stabbed in the heart. Right. So this mm. kid's from a rich family. The other kid's from a rich family. They all go to a, a private school. So this is costing, in US dollars, I'm guessing, about 25000 a year. For each pupil, and they stabbed. Yeah. Kids stabbed one, the other guy in the heart over drugs. <laughs> they were selling drugs, and I mean, one stabbed one in the heart to steal. And you, th and this is when you realize that this this mindset is, has gone everywhere now. And it's almost like, well, how do you put the genie back in the bottle? Yeah, well, I think I think it's just when you talk about drugs, you talk about an addiction, but not just addicted to the drugs. You're addicted to the money, also. So, I mean, when you're talking about drugs, anything can go wrong. 
Mm. And then that status as well, you know, you, you get that status of, yeah, you know, he's doing serious things in the street and that. Right, right. Which you try and bring people back from. That's exactly what we try and do in boxing gyms, bring people back from that mindset and say, that energy you're throwing at that environment, if you throw that same energy and same intelligence, which is, you know, the streets are very, you know, you've got to be pretty smart. If you throw that into your boxing, that same discipline as well, you know, you'll be untouchable. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's true. That's true. I believe that. I've actually seen it, though. I witnessed it. So you're right. So then, so you, so you have 15 bouts. When do you decide to turn pro, and what's the trigger point? Well, um, I might have had my last amateur bout when I was about 19 years old, 19 or 20. And my son, my oldest son was born in 2007, and he was born in January of 2007. I turned pro April 11th. 2008 um at that point in my life i really i didn't have a job at that exact point um i had just got back in the gym maybe i was in the gym for like a month and a half um i was i was about 182 pounds at the time and i only stand about five six so i was about 182 pounds well over my weight class um I wasn't really doing much, but just getting in the gym. I wasn't trying to sell drugs. I wasn't trying to get into, like, robbing people or, you know, shit like that. So, and I and I had a couple jobs, but, you know, things didn't fall through too well with the jobs. So, boxing was, like, calling me. So, I remember my neighbor, he was, like, a trainer. He was a trainer. And my original trainer, I had went through something with him. You know, like, we got into some arguments and stuff. And I felt like he was being a little too, you know, too much of a. He was being more than a trainer. He was, and, and then at the same time, his intentions wasn't pure. So I just felt like I needed to get away from him. So the trainer that was on my block, my neighbor, he was like, "Man, won't you get in the gym?" So I got in the gym with him, and then next thing you know, we get a call from the lady who was throwing shows at the legendary Blue Horizon. Her name was Miss Vanoka Michael, and she said, "Would you, um, do you have a guy that would like to turn pro?" I mean, that would like to fight at 168 in two weeks. And I'm like, I'm like, hell yeah, I'll take it. Because at that point, I didn't have any money really saved up or anything. So I was just trying to make some money for my kid, make some money for my lady, pay some bills. So I took a fight two-week notice, weighing 182 pounds. I had to make weight at 168. So I lost the weight, weighed in at 68. And at that time, we were still fighting on the same day weigh-in. So we weighed in about 12 o'clock. And then I was fighting by like shit by like eight thirty, that night. So I'm going to ask you a serious question: What's your natural fighting weight? Because if you look at your record, it's anything from what one fifty to two oh five. Yeah, my um, my natural fight fighting weight where I should be is between forty seven and fifty four. Which is what I thought. So I always find it impressive. You, your last two fights are with Larry Pryor at Cruiserweight, right? Yeah, Cruiserweight. Yeah, I took one of those fights. I took the first fight with Larry Pryor on about a week and a half notice, maybe two weeks. And I took the second fight like two days notice. So, so what I'm going to say to the guys listening to this is you have to look at this record because you're going to look at his record and you're going to go and... Sorry, Greg, but this is what standard British fans will do. They just go, he's a bum. That's what they say. They go, he's yeah. a bum. Look at him. He ain't one shit. Yeah. And then I go, now go and get a video of Greg Hackett in the ring. And now 
imagine this guy was in an English ring and he had the backing of a promoter. You know, your record would be completely different. And this is what people forget, I think, when it comes to boxing, that your record isn't necessarily a reflection of your ability. It's more a reflection of how much leverage you have in the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so of, of those fights, were there any that you felt that actually the only reason I lost this is because the other guy's selling tickets and he's got the machine behind him? Um, my record on BoxRec is three wins, 19 losses, and one draw. I believe in my heart, me not being biased because I'm speaking about myself, my record, I should have about, let me see, 15 wins, 16 wins, maybe three losses and two draws, something like that. Which is, which is you know, and it reminds me, so I've got a friend who, who boxes, although I think he's in semi-retirement now. He's a guy called Eric McConzo, and he had a decent amateur record, actually. But Eric uh-huh. couldn't shift a ticket. For love nor money, he was never a big ticket seller. So what, mm. ended, what ended up was, you know, just to, like you said, just to pay the bills, Eric would have to take the short notice fights. And so yeah. he has a record, like you, he has a record that doesn't represent his ability. And, right. and so I'd always think of you as like the American Eric McConza, where you're like, what would happen in another universe where someone invests in a fighter with this sort of skill set and this kind of talent? Yeah. Yeah, and at the time when I turned pro, it, it wasn't many managers like it is now. And now it's managers all over, it's promoters all over. At that time, it wasn't really any managers around, and they was only looking at like the top guys. And the guys who are the big names coming out of Philly, they get they go with the big promoters. Now, exactly. I think it's it's the same here. Where so when I when I was really learning the game, you know, if we go back. 10, 15 years ago. Boxing wasn't cool. It was still in small, you know, leisure centers or community centers. You know, production values weren't that great. It's only the last five years, I think, from a British perspective, that boxing's become a thing and you've seen everyone come out. So every personal trainer is now a boxing trainer. Every Mm -hmm. accountant is now a manager. And everyone's just sprung up out of nowhere. You know, and then you, you and you'll notice. And sometimes you look around and you go, but I've never seen this guy before. How how all of a sudden has he just appeared and he's front and center of everything? Right. And then you know this. What people don't realize is boxing exists on really unique and very strange rules. So if you come in thinking you can do X, Y, Z, you can blow your budget pretty quickly. Pretty quick, yep. yep. And people will pull, they will pull all kinds of money out of you if they know you happy to spend your money. They know you, if you're running around using words like, well, money isn't a thing, money isn't an issue, then they'll show you, okay. <laughs> yeah, there's that expression, yeah. isn't it? A fool and their money are soon parted. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. So, so one of the things I still find interesting about your record is you fought Jared Hurd. Uh, I think it was what? Yeah. That was the sixth fight? Yeah, that was the sixth fight, yep. You see anything in him then that told you he'd be the Jared Hurd we see now? Uh, the, only, the biggest thing that I saw from him, he was a student. Because after the fight, right after the fight, when we got out of the ring, him and his coach, they immediately start asking me, 
where did I gain my experience? How did you, how do you develop the skills that you have? You know, how many amateur fights did you have? Who was your trainer? You know, they they started asking me questions. So what that told me was he's somewhat of like a student of the game, and he likes to learn. So I think what they did was they went home, they learned from that fight, they learned from other fights, and they made adjustments. And you know, what I mean, I didn't see him getting to that level. I'm not gonna say that quick because he did some fighting, but you know, what I mean, to be that explosive at that level because he was. He was stopping guys, you know? Yeah. Do you follow him on Instagram? Because I find it interesting that he's never left his original club, so he still goes to Hillcrest, and that's where he does a lot of his training. Well, he just recently left his original uh, club. Oh, is he and left now? Down there. Yeah, now he's training with um, Shakur Stevenson's trainer, Kay Karamo, down in Virginia, I believe. Wow. Yep. Hey, he shows you, man. What one defeat, man, and everything gets changed. Yeah, I think it was just. I think. I think what he what it was is he picked up on a. Uh, he sensed like some type of lack of lack of belief in his coach. Which is a shame because, to be honest, I feel I'd like to know your views on this because I think this is the guy who's pretty close to you. I just feel in that J Rock fight, it's like they hadn't done their research and they just kind of watched the Charlo fight and said, "Ah, we can we can bomb this guy out. We can bully him," but actually. Yeah. J-Rock strikes me as the kind of guy, and we're going to touch on Philadelphia in a second, who's just full of grit and determination and doesn't mind putting his head on your chest and going, right, let's dance. Right. So, yeah, for me, when I looked at J-Rock fighting Jared Hurd, I was like, if this goes on the inside, I wouldn't be surprised if J-Rock comes out on top because he's a smaller guy with the shorter arms and Philadelphia boxers can, you know, they love to touch their body. Yeah. I mean, I just think... Like you said, he slept. He slept on J Rock. He didn't do as much studying as he should have. He didn't think he really had to adjust to anything new. He kind of just went in there and just, you know, expected J Rock to slow down, and that wasn't enough that night. And that's which is often the case, isn't it? The great fighters will make that decision to go. Actually, what I'm doing right now isn't getting me the results I want. Let me pull something else out the bag. If that doesn't work, something else out the bag until something does work. Yeah. Which yep. is what someone like Crawford would have done. Crawford would have gone, ah, I'll try Orthodox. That hasn't worked. Let me try Southpaw. That hasn't worked. What, what, what if I just go to the body for, for the next round? And that's what the really great guys tend to do. Yeah. And I think, I think that comes from, you know, just like I said, he, he gained a, a, a certain type of fame coming from where he's from and not really being around anything of that magnitude and not understanding that you still have to, you still have to be a dog and you still have to make adjustments. You have to be tactical and, you know, you have to, you know, you have to add elements to your game. It doesn't, it, you, you'll never fight the same fight with the same medicine. Like you can't, you can't do that every time. You got to switch it up. That's true. So just bringing it back. So when you turn pro, <laughs> Yeah. Was there like a generation of you guys that turned over at the same time? Um, 2008. So I guess you could say like everybody who turned in 2006, 7, and 8 was like my class. Yeah. Um, so, so we talk about like Gabe, Gabe Rosado, Hank Lundy, um, I think Raymond Serrano, um... Let me see. I think Danny, Danny Garcia might have turned in 09. 
I mean, it was it was it was a bunch of guys, man. Bunch of guys. I would have to look, but it was a bunch of guys. <laughs> At that time, it was like Eric Hunter was around. Derek Poole Ennis was around. That's Jerron Ennis' big brother. We'll come on to him later. Yeah, they got a brother in the middle named Farah. He was fighting at the time. Um, We had, uh, let me see, did I say Eric Hunter? Yeah, Outlaw. We had, uh, it was a big heavyweight coming from um, Minnesota that used to fight in Philly all the time named Joey Abel. We had a heavyweight named uh, uh, Eddie Chambers. Yeah, we we know we know pretty well because he was so Eddie Chambers was here in the UK and he spent a lot of time with the Furies in the UK. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, so that yeah, so so we know him pretty well. Um, I always remember him going down to cruiserweight, which wasn't the best thing for him to do. Yeah. Did you ever see that fight where he fought the South African guy? Yeah, I think he didn't feel too good. Ooh, yeah, and that guy never went on to do anything after that. Yeah. Crazy. I think I thought Eddie should have made some more money, like got bigger fights. But I think a lot of people didn't want to fight Eddie because of him make, making them look bad, even if they did get the win. But but it's strange. You you look at him now. And you say if Eddie Chambers was around now, he 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 he'd draw money, he'd make money because there are a lot more. There's, there's a bigger number of smaller heavyweights with a high profile now. So him against yeah. a Michael Hunter, for example, is a fight you'd want to see because both guys are skillful. Right, exactly. Whereas I mean, there's some fights out there, Ortiz, there's some good fights. Yeah, whereas I think when Eddie was at his best, all the guys were like six six, six seven, and you know it just right. wasn't working for him. Right. Yeah. So no, but you know, so all these names you list, it brings me on to this question, and this is this is the bit I really wanted to get into. Because I get asked this, you know, one of the things we get asked is, can you explain different styles in boxing? Because in the UK, people kind of throw around this term, he's a Philly fighter, you know, he's from Philadelphia, it's a fighting city. I wanted to ask someone from Philadelphia, what is a Philadelphia boxer? And how do you know someone's a Philadelphia boxer? Um, I feel, I feel, first of all, a Philadelphia fighter is going to go out on his shield. Meaning, if he if he, if you have to knock him out or beat him to a pulp, then that's what it will be. He not he not going to quit. That's like the number one thing. You can't quit. You can't be a quitter. Um, the second thing is you got to look for him to be crafty. Him to be crafty on the inside or the outside. Him to be slick. Um, to have a certain type of determination. Um, let me see. Just just a just a gritty fighter. And he's definitely going to pull off some tricks. Philadelphia fighters are going to definitely pull off some tricks. And then is there something in the mindset that says Philadelphia fighters don't say no to fights? Well, the reason we don't say no to fights or we don't mind fighting is because, like I said, in the city, before you actually get into the gym, you have to know how to somewhat fight on the street because you won't be able to go to school. You won't be able to eat lunch. You won't be able to, to to wear your new sneakers. You won't be able to wear your new jacket. You won't be able to to, to laugh at the lunch table because the, uh, these fights break out over all of these things. You know what I mean? If a, if a young guy, 10 years old, he go get a new pair of sneakers, and that's the pair of sneakers that everybody's been wanting, they're going to ask him about his sneakers. 
but not ask them, you know, where do you buy them? They're going to try to take them from them. Or if he coming in the school and he bringing in good lunches, everybody going to be on his, on his ass about it. You're like, yo, let me get some of your food. You know what I mean? It's, it's that gritty. So you got to learn how to defend yourself. That's really interesting. So actually, by the time, by the time you, you even look in at Philadelphia, Jim, it's almost like people have been pre-selected. Exactly. Like you kind of know who is who because on the street they got a little name already, even when they're young. Which is interesting because, um, so I don't know if you know this, but there, so, so there are two American guys who are in the UK at the moment because they fight in about 10 days. So we've got Regis Progre here and we've got young Austin Williams. And yeah. so, so they're in the UK just getting acclimatized. And a couple of the people that I know really well have been doing work with them, inspiring them. And we're talking about this and we're saying, what is it about these American guys that we can look, we can look similar, we can hit the bag similar, we can hit the pad similar, but when it gets to that sparring, there's, there's this gap. And I was saying, based on my experience being in the States, there's a toughness that they all seem to have that we don't have in this country. And I, I, I don't know the real answer why, but there's a toughness these kids have. And like you said earlier, there's a craftiness as well where they can solve problems in the ring. Whereas in this country, when someone's under pressure, they'll look to their corner straight away like, what the hell do I do? Mm. And I find that really yeah. interesting based on what you're telling me about Philadelphia. Yeah. Well, the one, the one thing I see from, from over there, uh, as far as I know, the guys are more gentleman-like. It's more, it's more about being a gentleman. It's more about being, being respected about as far as, as far as how you dress and how you speak. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but too much gentleman take away from the gangsters. Over here, it, people dress all kinds of ways. They look all kinds of ways. They talk all kinds of ways. The only thing that really matters sometimes is can you fight? Now, of course, we take a guy like Canelo who has nice hair and nice looks, and you want to make him look like, you know, how the Golden Boy used to be in the 90s. You want to sell him. But at the same time, if he couldn't fight, nobody would really care. So he has to know how to fight. And I know he's not in the States, but he fights in the States. He, he he did most of his learning in the states. Um, a guy like uh, a guy like uh, let's say like Broner. Broner is a flashy guy, but if we think about it, let's really think about it. Broner is not the most successful fighter, but he is tough, and I'm gonna say why. He's never been stopped. He's never been stopped. So even though he talks a lot of shit and he got a pretty style, he you still not gonna go in there and just knock him out. You get what I'm saying? So it's like over here. The big deal is you can't quit. You cannot be a quitter at all. And I'm not saying guys over there in the UK are quitters, but I'm just saying it's always when I see them at the weigh-ins, they shaking hands. When they at the press conference, they shaking hands. They, I was told as an amateur, if you don't shake nobody's hand, that you get ready to fight, because y'all get ready to fight. So, so he get ready to try to hurt you. So you don't show any type of uh, weakness by shaking his hands. That's looked at as like weakness. You know what that reminds mm -hmm. me of? That reminds me of, do you remember the weigh-in when Gabe Brasado was doing the BKB? Mm -hmm. Was it you that was going absolutely crazy in the background? Oh, yeah, when uh, he was fighting Curtis Stevens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
sure. There's just that video clip. I don't know what you're saying because I can't hear it. But I can see that you got you got a lot to get off your chest. Yeah, because they was like playing around, man. They had this like wrestling type stunt where when they went to go do the face off between Gabe and Curtis Stevens, Curtis Stevens had like a little gang with him, and they all stood up. And not only did they stand up, they started working their way towards the stage, and then they came up on the stage. So it was like, oh, y'all trying to like press us out. Like, you know, y'all trying to play us like pussies or something. So so from there, the conversation. Plus, it was little things being said that you couldn't really hear on the camera. But, you know what I mean? Yeah, it got heated real quick, though. We'll come back to that because cause I, cause I think the Gabe Brasado thing is probably a topic in its uh-huh. own right. But what do you think of, yeah. of what Tyson Fury is doing with the WWE then? Um, Tyson Fury is having fun with life. Tyson Fury is having fun with his with his career. Tyson Fury is making money. Um, I can't really say he's doing something wrong because what's happening is some people reach that height in their career where they're just not a fighter. They're they are an attraction. So Tyson Fury being six foot nine, being light on his feet, being a really good boxer really entertaining person, I think they just trying to exploit that a lot more and, you know, have him all over the world as an attraction and making money. I really I really can't get mad at him when I think about it because we all got families to take care of at the end of the day. Because that, that's another discussion topic that's happening in the UK where, you know, everyone's saying, well, look, these guys, outside of the top 10 guys, no one's really pulling money in. So do we have to then go to that level where we go, we can do some of that WWE stuff before the fight, but as long as the fight's real, we can get the fans on board with it. You know, and you know there there are various schools of thoughts on this. So there are some people who go, look, we need to do whatever we need to do to get the money in, and that's why you're seeing this KSI versus Logan Paul. Then there are the old school guys who are like, boxing's boxing, it's real, it's gritty, it's not that wrestling stuff. So leave that alone. So where do you yeah. stand on that? I mean, I get that part of that way of thinking, but when are you ever going to see a six foot nine white guy with rhythm? Again. <laughs> it's not guaranteed. You know what I'm saying? I ain't trying to be funny. I'm being real. It's not guaranteed. So, we have to have fun with it. Plus, on top of that, Tyson Fury is entertaining. He is. He's funny as hell. He, he'll he go to the list as, as far as putting tights on and dressing up like Batman and you know what I mean? He just he just an entertaining person. So when I think, like I said, when I think about it all the way around, I can't be mad at him in no type of way. Now, if they just took any old guy and threw him on wrestling, then it would be like, ah, that's kind of corny. But it is Tyson Fury, and I think the WWE fans will enjoy him because he he's a big guy. He's a big guy. But he looks small though when you see him next to that Braun Strowman guy. That's when you go, these wrestling guys are for real. Yeah, yeah, these big wide motherfuckers, yeah. Sure. Yeah, you know, e- eating their vitamins, saying their prayers like Hulk Hogan said, eh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I man, that's all, just 17 cans of tuna a day, that's how you get that big, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the fuck it is, man, to be honest. But, you know, one of the things I, I, I do, and when I was talking to a friend about you over the weekend, I said this, I said, the thing I like about you is, I think I've seen you at every level of like Philadelphia boxing. Like whether you're training a little seven-year-old girl or yeah. you're in the background with Gabe Rosado or you're there chilling with Tevin Farmer and everything in between. 
Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, you're that's you're true. you're you're almost in the you just at that the heart of everything that's going on in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's true. And, and you I like that because it's it's someone saying I'm just passionate about the sport. It's not someone saying I want to make a name for myself in the sport. You know, it's not really that. You know, some people are quite cold and strategic in how they deal with boxing. But then there's some people who are like, I just love boxing. Wherever there's boxing, you'll find me. And that's what I respect about how you move. Yeah, that's, and that's because that's the truth. That's how I am about it. If this, if it's a seven-year-old kid that's serious about it, just as serious as I am, then hell yeah, you'll catch me working with him. Or if it's chilling with Trevor Farmer, you know what I mean? That's what it is. Or if it's, you know what I mean, getting Dave Rosado ready for a fight or any anybody, that's what it is. And then on that topic of Philadelphia, who are the Philly guys who, when you look back on your time growing up in boxing, you say, these are the guys that had an impact on me? That I had an impact on or they had an impact on me? They had an impact on you. Oh, I'm gonna say all of them because I watch I watched them all do it and 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 lets me know I can that, that it's real. So I'm gonna say uh, Derek Poo Ennis uh, for starters because I used to spend my money to go see Derek Poo Ennis because he was very entertaining. And no, and no matter who he was fighting, it was gonna be a great fight. Um, Jesse Hart was always entertaining ever since he was a little kid and didn't really know how to fight. He was always entertaining. He always believed in himself. Julian Williams was always serious. He was he was he wanted to hurt anything that you put in the ring with him. Um, Tevin Farmer was always serious. Joey DeWaco was always great to watch. Just a great talent. You know what I'm saying? Slick, can punch, sneaky. You know what I'm saying? Um, let me see who else you got. Danny Garcia came out of nowhere. He didn't come out of nowhere, but he did because I never thought that he would be taken this far. He looked like a kid that would like soon as he got into girls, he would leave it alone. But he, but he took it all away. You know what I mean? So I, all of these guys have a little impact on me and my and what I do every day because I've seen that it can be done. And then obviously the guys like Meldrick Taylor are the guys you were watching when you were young. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming up now. Okay, now if you want to go into that, Meldrick Taylor for sure. His story was heartbreaking, but I love the skill set. I love who he was as a person, as an amateur. And um, I got to meet him when I was, like, a little younger. You know what I mean? I was probably, like, like 20 years old. Um, to see Bernard fight through all the, like, the naysaying, like, far as he's too old or he's too stiff, his style is too basic, he still overcame it. He, he beat the shit out of a lot of guys. Um, to see, uh, let me see, it was a lot, man. It was just a lot of fighters, man. A lot of fighters. I love watching them. Love watching him. We even had a journeyman named Maurice. Uh, what was his name? Maurice. They used to call him Brody. But his name was Maurice. I forgot his last name. And he was so entertaining. Southpaw he used to fight at. Uh, used to fight at the uh, legendary Blue Horizon all the time. And he was. I say he was entertaining because one time at a press conference, he bought a guy a, a bag of maxi pads and he told him he needed to clean the space up after the fight. <laughs> That shit was funny, man. And, and it's, you know, it's strange, isn't it? It's moments like that that you love about boxing where someone just thinks outside the box and you go, you know, I would never have thought of that, but it works. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> and it was entertaining. And it was before the uh, social media era, so, like, it was just all natural. It just felt natural. Shit was funny, man. And then just, just keeping it Philly-focused for now, just... 
I'm going to throw some names at you and some questions because I'm always interested in some of these guys. So, Malik Scott. Now, mm. now let's just forget what we see on Instagram because <laughs> that, that, that's its own thing right now. I mean, leave the guy to express himself the way he wants. But you look at Malik Scott and you go, there's a big man with all the tools in the world. He, when people say Tyson Fury is skillful and slick and smooth, I say you could put Malik Scott next to Fury and if you ask someone who Ooh. didn't know boxing who's the better guy, they'd say Malik Scott. He has everything, but he can't mm -hmm. put it together when it matters. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Malik, Malik Scott, to me, was a mystery coming up because I would see his record and I used to wonder, well, who the hell is he? But at that time, he was already living in California. I was in Philadelphia, so I'm like, ah, I've never seen him. So when I, when, I, when I got to see him, I'm like, shit. I'm like, this motherfucker's slick. Fast hands, he's a nice size, uh, great, great footwork, great hand movement. But I think, honestly, what it is is Malik Scott doesn't have the biggest punch. So he, in his mind, has to fight 10, 12 rounds every time. That's tough to do, but it can be done. But I think Malik Scott really is like, because you have to be marketable in boxing and being a heavyweight that can't really punch, like, he can punch, but he don't have the biggest punch. So because he don't have one of the biggest punches, I think they look at it like it's hard to market him. So it's like he's made money, you know, taking fights and sparring guys and shit like that, but nobody had a real plan for him being champion because he really couldn't punch. You know what I'm saying? He's not a big puncher. And then, for, you know, just continue the heavyweight theme. Bryant Jennings. Now, I... I like Brian Jennings. And every time I see Brian Jennings on TV, I forget that I've met him in person and he's a lot bigger in person than he looks on TV. Jesus. Right. But right. such a gentleman, such a nice guy. Another guy yeah. who, much, much like I said about you, he seems to, he has this freakish knowledge of boxing considering he didn't start till he was late. Right. And then, you know, I always go back to what's in the Philadelphia water because I watched him. I was up close when he was sparring Derek Chisora for the Takam mm. fight. Mm. Jesus. The, <laughs> there, I'm sure there's longer footage of that sparring session that will come out one day and people will sit right. down and watch that because I'm not going to say Derek's the cleverest guy on the inside, but what Derek is, is he's just brave as shit and he'll keep swinging at you. And what Brian right. Jennings was able to do was, you know, like you said, be cute, be clever on the inside, go to the body when he needed to, Learn how to just control him, maneuver him where he wanted him to go. And sometimes Derek didn't know why he ended up in a corner. But you could see that Brian Jennings knew what he was doing. Right. And I look at him and I go, you probably should have done more. And maybe if he was younger in this era, he'd probably do a bit more now. Yeah. But when we talk about Brian Jennings, it's not so much that he started late. He only had 11 amateur fights so with 11 amateur fights and then you fight in Klitschko in your 19th no 20th pro fight so let's take the 11 amateur fights throw that on top of the 19 that's only 30 fights and then you fight Vladimir Klitschko who was a gold medalist who was world champion and not only are you in there fighting them you're handling business you're not, you're not winning the fight. You didn't win the fight, but you look good. You didn't look good. You didn't look like shit. You know what I'm saying? But I think, I'm going to be honest, when we talk about 
B.Y. Dennis, he he exceeded his potential. I think he he did way better than what anybody would ever uh, dream of with him doing. Now, I think the guy's a class act. Um, and everyone in the UK that has worked with him, so even David Hay was saying, look, I'd work with Brian Jennings 100 times out of 100. Just really well-respected yeah. guy. And I like watching. I, just one of those guys you enjoy watching, you enjoy being around. But the, the third heavyweight, I'm going to ask you a question. I know you're not going to answer this. Did, he, did, did Big Joey really mess Joshua up? Now that's the thing. To be honest, Joe is being a gentleman about that whole situation, and he's not—he's not saying anything. But I'm going to give you my answer. I believe he did because Joey is a lot sneakier than what he shows in the fights. He's a lot faster than what he shows, and I—I I, with Joshua being a big guy and Joey being a shorter guy and sitting up under you, I think. Joshua, it could have been possible that Joshua miscalculated the distance and got caught with a shot. You know what I mean? Now, is the shot so hard that it, 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 it messes up the fight for you? I don't know. But, you know, could he have possibly got hit with a devastating shot? Hell yeah. Because I know Joey Duaco. But And also, I think the irony is Joshua is notorious for being easy to stun. Like, and he's one of those guys that when he's hit once, he's just hit. Right. So if you remember Frank Bruno, like Frank Bruno, I don't think Frank's ever been put down in a fight, if I remember correctly. But when Frank Bruno would get hit, he'd just stiffen up. And yeah. so the ref would have to protect him from himself because it was like he was paralyzed. He couldn't move. Right. And Joshua has that where he loses. Like, it's, almost, it's like when you used to play video games, he'd lose half of his power bar. And then he'd need, like, three rounds to get it back. Yeah. And Ruiz yeah. just didn't let him. Yeah, Ruiz. What I think about Ruiz is, I think they overlook Ruiz because they paid attention to his body shape. But if you pay attention to who he is, his, uh, his credit to his amateur career and his experiences, then I think uh, Joshua would have went out there, you know, boxing a little more and taking his time and placing the shots instead of feeling like he had to fight with him. The, the one thing you don't want to do is fight, start off fighting with a Mexican, because that's how they start off. They want to fight. So once he knocked uh, Ruiz down, I didn't think he realized that Ruiz would come back looking for blood. I think he thought maybe, okay, I knocked him down, I'm going to just go ahead and stop him now. So he kind of like walked himself into a shot. And then... Do you find, because this is the thing I find strange, and I know guys in the camp, and I've saw, I've said this myself, I've said, if I was in that camp with Joshua, I'd have got Joey from Philadelphia to the UK, and he would have been in that camp every day. Why? Because if he did do something to Joshua, that's how you got to overcome those demons. That's the test you got to pass yeah. to get that confidence back to fight Ruiz. Yeah. But it looks like they're going a different route. Yeah, and and for them going a different route lets me know that Joey must have did something to him. But the thing is, like you said, to overcome all all negative thinking, then yeah, you would have got Joey back in there because Joey gonna give you the best style for that height and that speed, and you would be more prepared because I think he really only was sparring with Joey for like a week. Wow, I think. He, 
I think he could have learned more if he would have had Joey around for maybe a month. But he only, I think he, Joey had slid down to Miami, I think it was. Yeah. And only sparred, sparred him for like a week, like two, three days or something. Because cause I, looked, I looked at who else there had been. They had these two, these two amateur kids who were boxing for GB, who neither of whom will make the Olympics. Now, I shouldn't have said that because they're friends, but sorry. But they yeah. won't make the Olympics just because there's a queue. And he had those guys yeah. over in camp. And I'm like, that's not preparation you need for Andy Ruiz. You know, I suggested yeah. one of the guys I know in London who, who's like that. He's this horrible guy, like the young kid called Jamie Shakiva, just boxing the world championships as an amateur. Really mm. horrible guy, shuts the distance down, loves the double left hook, loves an uppercut. And mm. they, they overlooked him as well. So I have no idea who they've got in camp to prepare for Ruiz. And, well, you're getting an education in how, how haphazard our preparations are in the UK. We're, there's not a lot of science here when it comes to preparing for fights. No one really breaks it down and says, here are the things we need to resolve. So I, I do worry for yeah. for Joshua come December, man. I'm worried. Yeah, and, and and I think the biggest thing with Joshua is the weight training. I think he shouldn't do so much of that. I think he should focus more on just getting his hands off and developing his style. I think the weight trainer was was, was in the way a little bit because the, the muscles are too large. His shoulders and chest are too large, I felt like. I think that's what Andre Ward said, and people said he was hating, and he was just like, nah. Because didn't he say something on the lines of he wanted yeah. to fight Joshua? Yeah, he did. At one point, he was saying something like that. And now we can see he wasn't crazy. Nah, he wasn't crazy. I mean, any man could be beat, but like you said, it's not too much science over there. It's just, I guess it's just get ready. So... We fighters from over here, we can see little certain little shit like, okay, he loves he loves to use his ability, his physical ability. But what is he? What does he know mentally? Like, what, what does he have in his arsenal? You know what I'm saying? Like, just like I said, like when he knocked Ruiz down, he didn't keep the distance. He jumped right back into a fight, and then that's how Ruiz was able to get off. That he should have stayed behind his jab. He shouldn't even got into a big old mix up like that. But, but Ruiz was, was was really hurt, but his way of coming out of it being a Mexican fighter is fight your way out. And I think one of the things is they learn that so early that by the time, if you look at how kids learn here, you normally go into a gym and there are people who, who don't know what the hell they're doing, right? And they get given the kids. So when they're 10, 11 years old and they come into the gym, their first trainer's normally below average. So they don't learn the thing. Now, if you go back to, I think this was when you were in California, there was a kid. I don't know if it was uh, Fernando Vargas's son. Was it Ernesto Vargas? Yeah. You see the fight he had? Yeah. And he was just, what was he doing? Just kept going down to that body. Every yeah. time. Slip, yep. slip the jab, left hook to the body. Breaking this kid's spirit. Yeah. And I was watching that saying, I couldn't think of a kid in this country who could have done that. Right. And I you think you could find it, 50 yeah. of them. Just in that area where the fight happened, I think you could find 50 of those kids who could do that. Yeah. So, so yeah. So when he turns pro, you don't have to teach him how to go to the body. Right. But you give me a kid here, 
I have to teach them how to go to the body when they turn pro. Yeah. I have to teach them how to slip. Can you imagine that? I have to teach a professional boxer how to slip, how to pivot, yeah. how to come around the corner yeah. and throw shots. Yeah. That's why our boxing in this country struggles because we don't have that. We don't have those, um, you know, guys like, what was that? Was it, I was going to say William Muzone. Was it Wilfred Muzone? You know, those guys that just pass the knowledge down because there was a guy, was it Billy Briscoe? Right. Yeah, and he was talking yeah. about how he learned from so many people who are a lot older than he was. Right. Before, that's, how, that's how I learned too. Yeah, and it's, it's how I learned, where you couldn't decide you wanted to be a trainer. Someone had to say to you, look, what about you go, how about you go and train that guy? Just go, get him working on his jab and his footwork. And then the older right, guys would yeah. watch you, and they go, is he ready yet? Yeah, yeah, we moved up in the ranks, yeah. But now in this country, look, you just show up, you do a course, and all of a sudden, you know what I mean, you're telling girls you're, you're, you're a boxing coach. And then we say, where are your case studies? Show me one of your guys. And you've got these guys, yeah. and they can't jab, and it just, and it, it's painful to watch. Yeah, that shouldn't, and really that shouldn't even be allowed because in other professions, you can't just put on like, like, like in a hospital, you can't put on a, a, a scrub, some scrubs and go in there and call yourself a surgeon. You can't go in the barber shop, grab clippers and call yourself a barber. You can't put a suit on and call yourself a lawyer. So why should you be able to call yourself a boxing coach or a trainer or a teacher? And what was the other one I wanted to touch on? It was, it was something, was it you that said it? And you asked this question, and I, I laugh when I think about it, because you said something like, how's a guy in, Cal in North Carolina teaching the Philly shell? And I thought, wow. Right, right. I remember that, because right. I thought, because then I had to go and find out who this guy was. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's some guy on Instagram. And he's, yeah. <laughs> he's basically, right. it looks like he's teaching, he's teaching people something he learned on the internet. Right. That's my, that's my point. Because I'm, I'm like, like I'm, I'm, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, because I was going to say, look, I'm, even I don't fully get the Philly shell. I've spoken to guys who have tried to explain it to me. But I'm like, I'm like, I know Mayweather's thing isn't the same thing as Bernard's thing. Therefore, Mayweather's not doing the Philly shell. I believe Bernard is. Mm -hmm. But Floyd's got his own thing, which is like a Michigan mm -hmm. thing over there. So when Midwest, I see, a, yeah, Midwest style. yeah, then I see this guy from North Carolina, <laughs> and it just didn't look right. Yeah, it's just it, it, it is crazy because he's like doing like simulations where he's he's going through the motions, and it wasn't about me saying you have to be from Philly to learn it. So that's not what I was saying. What I was saying is, if you look at North Carolina, the region of boxing, that's like. If it was five stars, they get like a half a star <laughs> for the for the boxing they have down there. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm saying to myself, <clears throat> how is somebody down there teaching that? And then this is a guy. First of all, nobody knows this guy. Second of all, who does he train? Third of all, who taught him? You know what I'm saying? It's like, where did he get the, where? Like, come on. And then you're making videos. And then, like, people, I mean, but listen, if you, if this is how you make money and all that shit, I get it. But don't put bad information out there. And the reason it's bad information, because nowhere is it proven 
in these tapes that this is the correct way because you know, it's not even being done at 100 miles per hour. It's being done with a kid that you train and he's throwing a punch at you half speed and you know exactly when it's coming because you're telling him when to throw it. And then you're rolling it. Like, it's just too much. Too much. No, you're right. And, and, I, and, I, and I think guys like that are bad for the sport. I'm sorry. No, you, you're not because I don't know if you remember, but there was a period where people were walking, walking into gyms, definitely over here, all trying to be James Tony. Like, first day in the gym, and they're trying to be James Tony. Mm. And so the only way you could explain to them why they can't be James Tony was you just put them in the ring. You're like, okay, okay how about you jump in with that 13-year-old girl over there and do that James Tony <laughs> shit you're doing? It doesn't last right. very long. Right. Because people don't want to... No one wants to learn properly anymore. No, nah, nobody wants to take the time. Everybody wants to take the time I had a game broken down to them. Everybody want to get on the pad. <laughs> and they think they're going to win fights that way. Yeah. And, you know, and, then, and a lot of them don't even know how to throw a punch. So I don't even really like getting on the pads with them. I really don't even do too much pad work with guys who don't even know how to punch. Exactly. I've done the same thing now. I've just said, look, if you can't do it on the bag, you're not going to be able to do it on the pads. Yeah. Nice and simple. Because, yep. because, and you know this, look, how many people do you see on Instagram, 20,000 views on a video, and they're doing those crazy combinations, and you think to yourself, chin's in the air, elbows are low, everything yeah. is open. Yeah, absolutely. But they're like, nah, 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 look at that. Three minutes, continuous punching. Look at these combinations. Yeah. Yeah. The only person who can get away with that, as far as I'm concerned, right now, is Anthony Yard. And I don't even know how those guys have managed to get as far as they have, but credit where credit's due, they're doing something in secret that we don't see. Yeah, I keep hearing about his trainers and his training methods, but I never really checked them out. Uh, you know, there's more to it. Like, like the people talk about the crazy pad work, but ultimately there's, all, there's more to it because it's much like you said about Brian Jennings. Anthony Yard boxed 14 times as an amateur, maybe 13. I think I was 14, stopped 13 guys. Mm. And they just went pro. And they just said, you know what? We've got a golden egg here. Let's not risk it. Let's just build them carefully. And then we'll all make money. Right. Goes in there with Kovalev. Is out of his depth. Let's be honest. He's out of his depth. But what he showed, and it's that thing you were saying earlier, he showed the reality that you're going to have to drag me out this ring. Right. Right, exactly. Part so, of a line. Yeah, so now people are like, we don't mind seeing him again. Right. And and he almost got the job done. He, well, he did, and then <laughs> Kovalev seemed to wake up and go, actually, you know what, let me get back on my job. Yeah, that's true. So I imagine Canelo was there going, ah, this is the worst possible thing, man. Can Kovalev's now realized that, you know, he's got the heart of a line as well. Right. So, so, yeah, it'll be an interesting fight. So, how do you see that fight going, Kovalev versus Canelo? Um, I, I honestly think, listen, certain fights bring the best out of you. This is a big fight for both guys, but we haven't been seeing the best Kovalev that we have seen in the past. But what I believe is Kovalev is going to train hard for this fight. He's going to do the proper, proper things. And I think, I, honestly, I'm not going to say he's going to beat Canelo. I think he's definitely going to hurt Canelo at least two times in that fight. At least two times. But I, if it goes the distance, it's because Canelo playing it safe and using all of his boxing ability. 
But I see Kovalev definitely hurt because I lost. Because I think, was it you that that gave me the the analysis of John David Jackson and, and why he's full of shit, basically? Yeah, that might have been me. Because I'm really not big on John David Jackson. But you sparred him, right? As a youngster. Yeah, I sparred John David Jackson when I was uh, 18 years old. He was in Philly with Bernard. And um, one of Bernard's uh, cut men had brought him over to the gym, uh, Danny Davis. He brought John David over to the gym. And um, you know what it was? John David had asked Danny, can he get some sparring? I don't know why he wanted to spar. But he wanted to spar. And then he came down and we did six rounds, me and John David, when I was 18. Did he still have it? Yeah, to me he did. To me he was still pretty sharp for an old head. And I, I, I can't really say how old he was at that point, but this was about 2000, let me say 2005, 2006. Yeah, so it might have been, been 2004. It might have been 2004, 2005. And, um, Probably early forties, early forties or late thirties. Yeah, he was pretty. He was pretty sharp still. He still had his fast hands. That's. I think that's what I was impressed with the hand speed. His power was okay, but it was like his hand speed was pretty good. Because, because you had issues with him and the way he trained Bernard for the was it Joe Smith? No, it, it started with. Uh, his first fight with B.Y. Jennings with uh, King Kong Ortiz. Ah. And King Kong Ortiz, he told him in that fight, I heard him after like the fourth round, he said to B.Y., he said, sit your head in the middle and take a chance or some shit he said. And I was like, what? And I was saying to myself, why would you tell him to sit his head anywhere? Like, don't. And I was hoping he wasn't meaning like sit his head on his chest. Because Ortiz was too slick for that. So, he, he, I remember B.Y. Jennings sitting inside a little bit and getting caught with that uppercut. And it was all she wrote from there. Yeah, and trying to do all of that against the Southpaw. Especially a Southpaw like Ortiz who understands how to be a Southpaw. That's my point. That was my point exactly. That was, that was a dumb call on his behalf. And I was just, ever since then, I was pissed about that. And now he's got who's he got? He's got Clarissa Shields, right? Yeah, he's got Clarissa Shields, and I think he might have uh, one of those one of those Russian guys. But I know he definitely got Clarissa Shields right now. We'll see what he does with her because she needs a lot of work. Well, the thing is, she needs a lot of work, but at the same time, she's the most she's the most probably like. I don't know the exact word I'm looking for. Like, she's the fireball of, her, of any of those divisions. She's she's young. She's young and she's ambitious and she has the pedigree. So I I think it's just gonna be hard to find somebody to beat her. Honestly. See, so I think she's gonna suffer from that Ronda Rousey effect, where she'll be this dominant now, so there's no one to really test her. But there's a couple of these young women at 75 kilos in the amateurs who are looking like monsters. So when they come out yeah. and they've got that, that same hunger and that same intensity, because remember, it's only two rounds of women's boxing. So a lot of these Olympians won't be worried about that. 
Yeah, two minutes, yeah. yeah. So I think that's when we'll start to see Clarissa sweat a bit. And if Savannah Marshall ever gets her act together as well. Because we've been waiting for that fight, that rematch, for years now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would love to, I would love to see her definitely get challenged. I mean, but so far, the, the challenge is the best, the best to do anything with Hannah Gabriels. But like I said, at the age bracket Hannah Gabriels is, she's not a young, she's not a spring chicken. So when, when, when Shields was picking it up, it was hard for her to keep up. And it was a shame because, like, you know, because I remember when, when, when the fight was announced, and you look at Hannah Gabriels and she doesn't look like the typical female boxer. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, you're like, if she could win, I mean, this lady could make some money for herself. But it's easier yeah, said than yeah. done. Easier said than done, yep. Yep. You enjoying women's boxing at the moment? Um, I actually do because I, I believe it's more passion involved. I think they all just want to be the best and then they all willing to fight, especially watching fighters like Franchine Cruz, um, uh, Carissa Shields, um, Kaylee Reese, um, Kay, uh, what is it, Katie, Katie Teller. Uh, I like the, I like the tough ones, the real tough ones. Michaela Mayer is tough. I want to see her and actually Katie Teller get it in. Um, I mean, there's some tough girls out there. Tough uh, Alicia Bumgarner. Uh, some tough girls out there, real tough. And the thing about that is, and I, I, I genuinely enjoy training women. Why? Because they pick it up. Mm. You show them how to yeah. throw a jab, they pick it up. Yeah. You say, look, meet me at ten o'clock on Wednesday. They show up. No, no yeah. dramas. They, <laughs> wherever you want them to go, they'll go. Yeah. You just learn That's never, ne- never shout at them. That's what you learn. Do not raise your voice. That that I had to learn. So did I. That, yeah, that I had to learn. You gotta you gotta chill with the yelling, because it be the it be those times in their life where they going through things, and it, it'll 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 definitely come right out. Yeah, I learned the hard way, you know. But but I'm glad it's it's one of those lessons I learned. And you know what? The strange thing is, Greg. Yeah. It made me better in my, all my relationships with women. Yeah, <laughs> it did. You know, when when I got told that, the exact words were, "Listen, I would do anything you ask me to do. Just don't shout at me." And I was like, "Okay, cool." And then, I mean, I I, I dialed back the shouting, and actually, my life got a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, I heard that before, but I I just I don't know. <laughs> I heard that before. <laughs> Okay. So another name I wanted to drop at you was Tevin Farmer. And the reason I want to drop Tevin Farmer is he's a strange one to me. And I think he's a strange one to British fans as well. Because if you go back three or four years, he was that YouTube darling. Because you know you get a Tevin Farmer highlight reel and it looks incredible. Oh. Yes. So all you wanted to do was see Tevin Farmer fight. And then you watch Tevin yeah. Farmer fight over 12 rounds and you're a bit like, nah, 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 send me the highlights next time. And and I feel for him because I think the guy can box and I think the guy is tough. Yeah. But he ain't stopping no one. And when you're that when you're that much better than the people in front of you, we're like, put them down, stop them, please. Yeah. Enough enough dancing around him. Mm, but he's so calculated. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of the most natural animals, like probably in the sport. Like his instincts is through the roof. This, this is through the roof. Um, the punching power, I can't really speak on that. Um, I've trained with him a couple of times, and I think what it has to do is 
he hasn't been taught properly to turn a punch. So he spends he spends time in these fights trying to hurry up and get off, and I think he's just he's slapping a bit with these guys. He's slapping a bit. Because there's been some fights where we've seen him fold guys in half, like the Ivan Redcock fight, where he had him bent over at the waist, and it was looking like he was getting ready to stop him. But I think the reason he doesn't get to stop is because he doesn't, he doesn't, one, he doesn't always ball up his fist, and two, he doesn't drive the punches. He just get them off. He's just throwing. It's like a whip. It's almost yeah. like a whip. He's just using a whip. Because you watch him, and he's almost got shades of like a, like a Meldrick Taylor when he was in the bald head phase. You know when you look at it, similar shapes, and they've got those wide arcing hooks as well. Yeah, there's ones that yeah. just whip in. Yeah. So he's got all those things. And I just say, look, if you could stop a few guys, then we'd be saying we want to see you fight Lomachenko. Yeah. Because I think that's that, true. Yeah, because his defense yeah. is hard to read. Yeah, you can't really touch him. It's, it's, it's going to be hard to, for anybody to land on him. But I agree, he needs to get some stoppages and he needs to get these big fights going because we got to see who's the man at 130, 135. Agreed, because everyone else seems to be jumping in with each other now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's starting to happen because it has to happen. You know what I mean? It's too much money being fooled around with. You know what I'm saying? We're not seeing the right fights. We're seeing, like, you know, secondhand fights. But they but they paying firsthand money. So I think we need to, you know, try hard as we can to get these, to get these guys in the ring. But I think I think those days are coming. I hope so, because the thing is, you look at zone and DAZN have to start making that money back for a start. And then you look at PBC, and you're like, PBC need to grow their fan base, and ESPN Plus definitely needs to do its thing as well. Right. For sure. So, so here's the thing. I, I'm going to need to hear this whole story. So you and Gabe Rosado, are you his trainer yeah. now, or has he got a trainer? Um, I mean, with Gabe, yo, man, to be honest, working with Gabe, He'll he'll be going through something with maybe Billy Briscoe or whoever he's working with. And then he'll be he'll call me and be like, Greg, man, can you come out to Cali? Or, or you know, are you working with anybody? You know, if if, if you're not, can you work with me or can you get me ready? You know what I mean? So we it's, it's like an in and out thing. But I kind of got to tighten up and and I want him to tighten up. If he's gonna do it, I want him to do it right and I want him to understand. You know what I mean? He got to be in the gym constantly instead of just waiting for him to get a call because they're not looking to Gabe, give Gabe anything. You know what I'm saying? So, like the last time when I went out to California, I was out there for a month and he didn't even fight because he told me they was going to give him the Billy Joe fight, which I believe was, was close to happening, but then it just, it just happened where it didn't happen. So, now I'm just out here chilling and I wanted to be working, and especially working for, for that fight. I thought that was going to be a great fight. And then, you know, I just ended up coming home. Welcome to being Eddie Hearn, my friend. Welcome. I, I heard. You see. I heard about Eddie Hearn. This is what he does. This is what he does, right? And I get called a Hearn hater for exposing him for this, but he's done it to friends of mine. Let's say yeah. you're fighting, Greg. Yeah. Uh, and you win. The first thing Hearn will do, or me, I'll be Eddie Hearn for a second. The first thing I'll say is, look, Greg Hack is the best super middleweight in the world. Why can't he fight Billy Joe Saunders? That's the first thing I'll say, right? Mm -hmm. So boxing scene now says Greg Hackett to fight Billy Joe Saunders next. Mm -hmm. 
now I've got attention ready for the fight I'm setting up now. Now people are subscribing because they think this fight's going to happen. But in my head, I'm like, this Billy Joe is too expensive. I've already got people interested. I can get someone for right. half the price. Right, 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 right. That's what they did with Gabe, I imagine, is they said, well, this KSI Logan Paul thing is going to sell without Gabe Rosado. He's not moving the needle. So why not get someone for a quarter of the price? Bank the rest of it. Absolutely true. But but I for can, me, I can see that. I'm calling Gabe and I'm saying, Gabe, I want someone who's going to bring that heat. And and I think he's been he's been hurt by the fight with Martin Murray in this country for sure. He's been hurt by that. Yeah. He should never have taken that. Because we I knew Murray's not the kind of guy to get involved in a war. Right, right. And so that was always going to be that sort of fight. And, you know, Eddie Hearn had told us it was going to be blood and guts. And then when we just got the fight we got, we're like, ah, come on, man. Yeah, it was a slapping contest. Yeah, because you could put Gabe in with like a Chris Eubank Jr. Be a hell of a fight. Yeah. That's what he needs. Gabriel Starter needs someone like a Chris Eubank Jr., someone who's going to come at him so he can, you know, do the stuff that he's good at. Right. But I'm, and I, I can never explain to people why I'm a Gabriel Starter fan. He always strikes me as that sort of guy that sits at home with a pair of gloves and a groin guard on one side and a, mo- and a mobile telephone on the other side, just ready to go. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> nah, nah, I like him, man. Because you guys look like you're having fun out in LA. So I'm, I'm, it's a shame that it didn't happen because it was, it was, it was you, Gabe, and Tevin out there, right? Yeah, Tevin was just out there like visiting, having fun, you know, basically like on a vacation. And then, you know, Gabe stays out there. And I was out there, you know, coming out the train with Gabe and a few other guys from Philly came out. So we were just all hooking up and having fun. That's all. Which is good because I like the fact that you guys have all stayed close. That's one of the great things about boxing. Like when you make those bonds, they tend to be for life. Well, yeah. See what it is with boxing and what it is with Philadelphia. I mean, if you if you like if you outside of the city, and another guy from Philly gives word back home that you wasn't treating him like a brother, you know what I mean? Then people start to look at you different because he's out of his element. So at least you can do is make sure he getting treated right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when we all get together, no matter what we got going on at home, we all get out there and, you know, wherever we go, and we're going to make sure we look out for each other. The city of brotherly love. Yeah. But we get home and it might be beef with each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. So so who is training Gabe Fishy? Is it still Briscoe? Nah, him and uh, I don't know. They always going through something, and then sometimes they make up. You know what I mean? I don't know. But as of right now, as of right now, I'm working with them. But then again, it, I can't say that because I'm back in Philly, and you know what I mean. He, I guess he's just trying to make a deal. But I would like honestly for him to come to come home to Philly and train for the next fight. Yeah, because I saw that gym in LA, and I, when I when I see gyms like that, I always start to worry that maybe yeah. the the hunger's gone. Yeah, the hunger, the hunger isn't really there. Not, I can't really say it is. I can't. I got to be honest. I can't. I can't say it really is. He, see, the thing is with him, he he'll turn it on and off. He'll 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 uh, he'll get right back in the training mode. But I feel like he needs to be like that all year round. 
It should be that way. He should be that way all year round. You can't keep turning on and off, on and off, on and off, because then the skills diminish. Yeah, not in your thirties anyway. Jesus, no. In your thirties, you've just got to stay on top of whatever it is you've got. You're just trying to preserve. Yeah, you got to hold on to it. Stay yeah. sharp. Yeah, no. Nah. Yep. But I'd love to. Honestly, I, he's one of those guys. I'm like, please don't just put him in a fight for the sake of it. Put him in a fight that's going to be entertaining. Right. Because he, he he's like a like a middleweight slash super middleweight version of Derek Chisora for me. Not in terms of skills, but in terms of if you put him in with the right guy, that chemistry, that's the fight yeah. you'll remember. Exactly, that's true. Because he keeps coming. Keeps coming. Mm, and and he's gonna give you all. He's gonna give you all kinds of looks. Which is what people don't realize with Gabe. They just have him down as a brawler. But if you actually watch what he does. Nah, there's some there's some wonderful work in there. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Because I remember when you guys were working in LA, I watched that live video you put up there, man. I was watching that, and I was like, "Yeah, oh, okay." And 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 this is another thing. Like that was that was to most people that was very simple pad work. It was like, well, you know, you're not you're not doing fifty punch combinations, but what you were doing was perfecting the shots that are necessary. Right. Yeah, so, <laughs> right. yeah, no, you were, because you're there, like, I mean, loosen the arms up, not so much tension in the arm, and all the, you're the small things that, if you're a real trainer, right. you understand why you need to fix those. Right. You know, That's true. keeping the elbow high, punching through the target, using the legs to turn in, using the hips, everything. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's true, though, because a lot of people sleep on that. And 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 I guess this is why you know, sometimes you have to do podcasts where it's two guys who have trained guys before because it's like well if we if we don't explain this to the fans they'll never understand that what you see on Instagram videos doesn't add value in a, in a fight. No, not at all. That's just that's just strictly for commercials. Yeah, that's just for look. Come and pay me seventy dollars an hour. I'll train you. Yeah. Yeah, that's commercial use. <laughs> you know, can't be jumping in the ring after that sort of pad work, can you? Nah. Because first of all, nobody's not going to let you get a 30-punch combination off. Nah, never. <laughs> you know? And secondly, at some point, you've got to move your feet. At some point, you got to move your feet, you got to move your head. You know what I'm saying? You got to step all the way around. You know I mean, it's, it's a lot of things, but, you know, they never minded with the pad work. And people, and people are so crazy, you know, they don't even understand that they're really attracted to the sound. They're not even attracted to the, to the actual work. It's, it's the sound. That's the best way to describe it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that that rat-a-tat-tat, yeah. Yep, that's, it's a rhythm that you that you hearing, and it's like hearing. A, it's like hearing a song, like hearing a good song. <laughs> that's a great way of explaining it so one thing I did want to ask you and I know I messaged you about this is there anyone in Britain yeah. that you're looking at and you're like hmm that, that guy looks interesting yeah I keep um, like I said I've seen Josh Kelly fight a couple times I keep trying to look for him to um, prosper but I'm looking for him to work on some things too because he's so awkward that it looks like he's just focused on being awkward I think if he Worked on the basics a little bit. I think he'll be he'll be something, and he'll beat a lot of guys um, because he is strong and he is fast. 
But I think if he can't confuse you right away and he can't get your feet to stop and he can't get you like to freeze and look at him, then he then he won't uh he won't pull the trigger. And then um Billy Joe Saunders, I like Billy Joe Saunders. I think he's real slick. I think he's um fast on his feet. Um He's awkward, very awkward. He, does, he doesn't throw the cleanest shot, but he has, a, like, a, a great eye on him where if he does, like he, like, he knows his distance really well. You know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's a few guys over there I've been watching that um that I like. Um, Let me see. That kid, I'm looking I'm looking forward to the kid. Uh, what's his name? Josh? No, not Josh. Which is the other kid, Taylor? No, Josh Taylor, is it? Yeah, the one that's fighting progress. Yeah, I'm looking forward to him because he's very talented. But I'm looking forward to seeing that fight because I know that Progray is a is a dog. He can box, but he but he gets this certain point probably after about three or four rounds where now it's like he's looking to stop you. He's looking to try to break you up. So I'm looking to see how the kid uh, reacts to uh, to that style of boxing. Oh, so I, and can, I know that he has. Oh, he's huh? a savage. So yeah. so so there's a fight that you might want to watch. It's Josh Taylor versus O'Hara Davis, right? And okay. And so Josh Taylor's team needed a fight to elevate him, to, to get him known outside of, you know, the hardcore circle. Yeah. So they pick O'Hara Davis. O'Hara Davis, do you know O'Hara Davis? I heard of him. Yeah. So O'Hara Davis is a young kid on the way up at light welterweight, so at 140. Right. And so they have this fight. And the first couple of rounds, it's a bit of cat and mouse. And you're like, okay, fine. The third round, Josh Taylor comes out. And just you, you see the pit bull in him come out, and you go, "Wow!" Right. He won't. He will not back away from Progray. He will stand and he will trade with Progray. He's a southpaw. He's nearly six foot tall. Right. Yeah, I did see that. He's long and rangy. Yeah. Yeah. But he will rip those shots into you. It will be int- so. I actually think the the interesting bit in the fight will be how does Progray cope with Josh Taylor? Right. I you can know, see that too. Because all the talk so far has been, can Josh Taylor cope with Progray's power? And I get right. that. But when I look at it, because right. I, know, I know Josh personally, he's, right. he's, he's, just, he's a malicious human being. He's just a malicious human being. You know, like, like you were saying about the guys from Philadelphia. Right, right. It's the same thing with kids from Scotland. They come up fighting. They come up like there's that maliciousness that you kind of have to have in you. Even if you're a nice guy in general, you've got to be spiteful. Yeah, I believe that. Because I, I, see, I see the confidence he has, and he has a look in his eye where he mean what he say. So I'm definitely looking forward to that fight. Yeah, that'd be a hell of a, hell of a fight. No, absolutely. So you know, Josh Taylor's one. And then... i tell you, I tell you about a guy I met, a guy that I met, and uh, he actually came to Philly with a team of guys. And that was uh, Tyrone McKenna. <laughs> okay, so, you know, I just mentioned O'Hara Davis. Right, right. So there's a great video between O'Hara Davis and Tyrone McKenna. And it goes back to that whole WWE thing. In fact, I'll, yeah, I'll right. send you the video and you'll see it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mildly amusing. Yeah, I need that. Like they, so they get into a pretend scuffle outside of a venue, you know, trying to sell the fight because <laughs> they're fighting in about two weeks. Okay, okay, cool. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, I should... follow Tyrone on Instagram, so I did see that. Yeah, exactly. So so that will be that'll be interesting to see because it's a crossroads fight for both those guys. The winner of that goes on, 
the loser will kind of stay at that level. Okay. That's what's up. That's good, man. No, I didn't realize Tyrone McKenna had come out to Philadelphia. Yeah, he came out with um a few Irishmen. Um, Frampton? It was a kid. No, Frampton did not when Frampton came out. It, this was a few years back. Ah. This was maybe this was maybe 2015, maybe. Um, and matter of fact, it might have been earlier than that. It was, you know what? It was like 2013, and um, it was it was Tyrone McKenna. It was the Southpaw. Uh, what's his name? John Joe Nevin. Yes. John Joe. Excellent. Yep. It was John Joe Nevin, Tyrone McKenna. It was another guy. It was like a light heavy because I actually boxed. I think I boxed the light heavyweight guy, and it was um, you know, they came. They was cool as shit, man. They came out. They had fun. Nah, that's a good, and that was a good crop of guys. I think John Joe Nevin. Ex-Olympian. He had some kind yeah. of accident. I don't know if one of his family broke his leg or something. He, he was in a really bad situation, so he's rebuilding. Oh, man. That's crazy. Yeah, so he's rebuilding his career slowly. Yeah, he comes he comes to train in Philly with um with um, Bulls Vienna. Okay. Yeah. See, I like that because like, a lot of these Irish guys, their first instinct is to go over to America. Yeah, I like them too. They funny guys, man. They funny guys. <laughs> <laughs> now they are, and the, the thing is, they're a fighting people, but they love life. Right. right. So like, they'll fight at the drop of a hat, but they prefer to drink and dance. And I, I not not wishing to stereotype too much, but they're they're as, clo- they're as close as white people get to black people. <laughs> I heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I heard that before. Okay, so, so, so the next conversation has to focus on the kids coming up. And I've mentioned Jerome Ennis a couple of times. And right. I, I think you're the guy that put me onto him, to be honest with you. And he looks special. Mm-hmm. And he, I compare him with Connor Ben in the UK. So Connor Ben, son of Nigel Ben, has been yeah. a pro for the same amount of time. They might have roughly the same number of fights. Right. Jerome Ennis has had all of his off the grid, essentially. But every one of mm-hmm. Conor Ben's fights has been on a pay-per-view show, high-profile, main eventing. Okay. And when you look at the two guys from a boxing perspective, you wouldn't put them in the ring together. Because mm-hmm. Jerome would run over Conor Ben. And I like Conor. Conor is a guy, as a human being, I think he's fantastic. But Jerome Ennis right. would run over him. And this is what it comes down to about... How do you build fighters for long-term success? And the Americans are getting it right more often than we are. Oh, you mean, okay, so uh, not putting them in so tough so early. Well, so we're not even putting Connor in tough. He's just, because, it's, because he's under the spotlight all the time, he doesn't get time to learn. He always has to win. And you know, sometimes oh. boxers get into that groove of they're just fighting to win. Okay, okay. I get what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, so you're winning it on heart and courage, not necessarily in your skills and fundamentals. Right, so his confidence really isn't going up. He just, he just every fight, he's got to go lay down at some point. Exactly. Whereas I think yeah, with Jerome, it seems to be the other way around. It seems that you're seeing development, growth. Yeah. Getting to work on all of his measurements. Yeah, yeah, he's... he's 
he's he's incredible. I, how far do you think he is from knocking on the door of the top ten guys? Um, I think I think next in the next year, I think the end of next year they'd be throwing him in with not, not the not the very top, but I'm thinking like the maybe from from the way shit goes in this game, I'm thinking like an Andre Berto, uh, uh, Adrian Granados, a certain guys. Robert Guerrero. Yeah, Robert Guerrero. Maybe Robert Robert Guerrero is too small for him. You know what I mean? For real, for real. I think uh Gerard is to hurt him. But maybe I mean maybe um a Brown, maybe even Broner. Maybe even Broner. No, I want to see Broner win a few times, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I want to see him win too, but I mean just just because of how he's been dealing, you know what I mean? But I don't know. I, I definitely some good fights though. I mean but I say that in the twenty twenty, we'll see him and with, with with a name, with a bigger name. Yeah, because he 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 looks good. Like he's he he's got that thing. I look at him in the same way I look at Crawford, and I just go, I don't think there's a problem he can't solve. Right, right. You're gonna find a way. Yeah. Yeah, that's understandable. And I think they I enjoy that. that. Yeah, that's understandable. So, so who else in Philadelphia is on the way up? Um, we have, we have a um, uh, what is it? A junior, a junior featherweight by the name of uh Stephen Fulton, who's the WBA champion. Yeah, he's WBA champion, I believe. With a no, 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 no. I'm sorry, he's the IBO champion, the IBO champion of the world. Um, 122 pounds. Uh, I think he's 17 and 0 with about. Let me see. Maybe like eleven knockouts or something like that. Real strong kid, real fast kid. Um, great instincts. Uh, great to the body. He stopped his last guy with a body shot. Who was a sixteen no undefeated kid. Um, I mean, you, he definitely he's definitely up and coming. Um, I mean, well, yeah, even though he has a belt, but he's definitely going to hit. I think twenty twenty would be his year too, where he hits real hard. Um, let me see. We got a we got a, a kid that I work with by the name of Paul Crow. He's only five and zero with four knockouts, but he was the 2016 Olympian at 152 pounds. He didn't um, qualify for the actual games, but he made the team. Um, so he's 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 looking to be back in the ring November second down in Maryland. Was he so sparring I mean, Porter before? Yes, yes. Well, Porter, uh, Danny Garcia. He's been in there with some great names. We um we we actually had got a call for him to go as far with Spence before Spence. Uh, before the Porter fight, but we we turned it down. Though we told him, nah, he ain't need to go because we wanted time to focus on him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, let me see. We got uh, Sonny Canto, heavyweight out of Philadelphia, coming up. He's signed the top rank. We got Donald No Love Smith. He's ten and zero, six foot uh, featherweight, hundred twenty six pounder, southpaw. Um, man, we got a bunch of guys. Man, we got a guy named. Uh, Another guy that I was working with, um, but he's going through like some managerial problems. Um, his name is um, Steven, Shamar Fulton. His name is Shamar Fulton. He's a 135-pounder, 4-0, three knockouts. Um, just some, I mean, Philly got a group of guys. We got a, uh, Angel and um, two brothers named Pizarro. Pizarro brothers. Angel and Brandon, they both great talent. Um, let me see. We got, we got some... Oh, we got heavyweight Darmani Rock, 16-0. He's getting ready to fight this week on the 19th. 
um, in Philadelphia. I mean, we just we got some great fighters here. There's another guy who who kind of fell off the radar because I remember he was was he meant to box at the Olympics in 2016? He was like the next big hope for 2016. You mean the heavyweight? Yeah, Damani Rock. Yeah, it's super heavy. Yeah, yeah, they was banking on him uh, winning, but he I think he got beat at the trials. Yeah, and then he t- turned pro and just kind of disappeared, and now he's starting to to reappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's he, he looking? He's looking good? Yeah, he's looking good. I think what they're waiting on is for him to take another step up in competition. You know what I mean? But he's definitely looking good. He's doing what he got to do. Got the skills? Yeah, the skills is there. The skills is always there. I think it's more so on the conditioning side and on the, you know, the uh, just being focused and being hungry. Mm, yeah, and that's the thing you can't coach. Absolutely, absolutely. Now that, I mean, we got we got a nice group of fighters. Nice group. Now it's good, and it's good to see boxers come back to Philadelphia. You guys have what? In the next two weeks, you got three shows, right? Yeah, we got about yeah, yeah. We got three shows because we got the top ranked show on the 18th. We have hard hitters. Uh, Hard hitting on the nineteenth, and then on the twenty fifth, we got King's Promotion down in um, South Philly, and on the fourth, we had Russell Peltz had a show, his fiftieth anniversary show. Oh, he's, oh, oh, he's making a comeback because he was he was he was big way back when. I know that for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean he's always been around, but he um, he threw a show on the fiftieth anniversary um, on October fourth because his first his very first show that he promoted was September 30th, 1969. So it was 50 years, um, September 30th of 2019. So I know my listeners would not be happy if I didn't approach this question because they know it's one of the things I talk about regularly when it comes to boxing. Yes, sir. Drugs in boxing. Oh, man. I mean, I mean you got to look at it like this. Rest in peace to the, I believe he was the Russian kid, Dadashev. Yeah. Rest in peace to now uh, Patrick Be- Patrick Day, who just fought four days ago. And they said that he just passed away. He, oh, Dada wow. He, he passed away. Yeah. They, I just got a couple of messages saying that he passed away while we've been on the phone. So, oh, wow. And may he rest in peace. These guys are losing their lives, not just getting hurt. These guys are losing their lives. And I'm not saying it's due to drugs. But what I'm just saying is, wouldn't it, feel more, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it feel more genuine and safe if we was just being natural about it? Like, what, what's all this shit with the supplements and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the steroids and, you know, PDs, whatever, whatever's going on, that shit is dangerous. So with all that being said, I think guys who are truly being knocked for that shit, who's getting caught up with that shit, I think they should have a license strip for life. I don't think they should be able to fight for life. If you get caught with any type of enhancer, I think you should be done. Because, man, what if you go in there and kill a guy, man? These guys have families. These guys have kids. You know what I'm saying? You know, you're almost preaching to the choir here. Because I... And I know it because so when I was younger, I played a lot of rugby. Now, if you want to know about right. all kinds of drugs, it's like the Wild West in rugby. So, right. so in changing rooms, it's openly discussed. Growth hormone, EPO, uh, just testosterone, nandrolone, trembolone, um, 
all kinds of weird medications you can buy over the counter that will also help you with your stamina and shit like that. It's right. It's crazy. Now, I look at that and go, if rugby is this toxic, all these guys are all training in the same kind of commercial gyms, you know, like where you're doing your squats and your bench presses. Everyone knows each other. Right. I refuse to believe that these pro boxers aren't learning these little tricks because no one gets tested in boxing, do they? Let's be honest. Not, not on the regular. Not, not every. See, would you have to pay attention to boxing? Pay attention to where some of these fights are happening. This, the certain commissions, because certain commissions don't even bother with testing. Certain commissions don't even bother with certain type of physicals. It's, some of them are just looking at your eyes. They having you walk a line. All right, yeah, he's ready to fight. They check your heart rate. They check it. They check your blood pressure. Oh yeah, he's ready to fight. They don't, they don't dig into blood and, and piss where they have to, you know, send some shit to a lab and find out if you're cheating or not. Now, the bigger states, the Las Vegas, uh, the New York, stuff like that, they do it. But I'm going to be honest with you. I always felt this to be funny. I, I, I piss in a cup. You put, the, you put the piss in a cup. You put a top on it. You label it with my name and everything. You put it in a box or a bag, and you ship it off. How, but how do I know that that piss isn't being tampered with? Or how do I know that you're not even switching it? You know what I'm saying? You're switching the labels or you're switching whatever. Or you're having somebody else piss for you. or You know what I'm saying? So, how so, do we know these things? So, 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 so there are two things I can say to that. One, the way that they actually capture the, the piss, you can't, that process isn't broken because it's done by a different company. And that company does other things as well, so they can't risk their reputation. But the second but thing is, this. oh yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. There are rumors, and there are sort of people are hinting at Vada might be corrupt. Right. That's what I was getting ready to say. What I was getting ready to say is, how do we know they even tested it? Yeah. Because how do we how do we know they even tested this shit? Is- and then they're spending all types of money on this shit. This shit is crazy, man. Because there have been allegations that actually VADA will let some things slide and they'll get some people like if you're if you're prepared to put money in the pot, then if you if you piss hot, you might not get announced as pissing hot. Right. And look who runs VADA, it's Victor Conte. Don't trust him as far as I can throw him. I don't think a leopard changes its spots. Victor Conte runs VADA? We set it up. I never knew that. Yeah, and he runs snack as well. So when I see all these guys in the snack t-shirts, I'm asking questions. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what are he's you really taking? Yeah, he's full of shit. But, but, and I don't like Victor Conte. But, but, like- but I'll give you an example, right? So there's a guy in New York called Scooter Honig. His name's Dave Honig. And he spent his whole career getting bodybuilders ready for shows, right? And then became a celebrity mm-hmm. trainer. Like, you remember when LL Cool J was just looking ripped? Right. That right, was I him, right? right? Now I'm seeing Eddie Hearn sending his boxes to this guy. And I'm like, Eddie, do you know what this guy specializes in? Yeah, that's why he's sending them. See, all these guys, Memo Heredia, uh, the guy that worked with Pacquiao, Ariza, these guys are still yeah. allowed in the sport. Yeah. I bet any money, this guy, Alberto Salazar, you know the guy that got kicked out of Nike for the running thing and the drugs? Mm-hmm. He'll be in boxing at some point. They'll get him in boxing. 
Yep. All the money behind it, so yeah, we all ne- the power play. We never kick people out. And it's one of the things, I'm glad that in America that they feel the same way because I watch boxing now and I don't believe anything I see. Yeah. Because yeah, you, sure. you've been in the ring. You, you know what's possible, right? Right. You know what's physically possible. So when you see... When you see cruiserweights move up to heavyweight and that work rate looks crazy, you're there going, uh. Yep. You know, you just look you're just looking at it going, why aren't you getting tired? At all. <laughs> yeah. And if oh, we can shit. if we can see it, why can't the drug testers see it? They don't want to see it. And they always test at they the like, wrong times. Yeah. And I think what they do to blind you. They show you all the clips of the guys working out with the strength and conditioning coaches. So they trying to tell you that's why he's that big or that's why he's look like, come on, man. It's full of shit. Full yeah. of shit. Guys are guys are getting hurt, man. So the guys are dying, losing their lives. So I you know what I mean, I I would hate to find out that a guy that killed the guy in the ring or hit him hard enough for him to go into a coma and then he later on dies, that that guy was on steroids. I would, I would, I would be heartbroken because he, you know what I mean. Now, what is his family supposed to do? Yeah, you know, there are real consequences to this. But and the other thing I want them to look at as well is how people are making weight. I think that's part of the problem as well. That's another thing. You got guys who five foot ten frames, wide shoulders, you know, and they coming down one hundred forty pounds, thirty five pounds. Big guys though, guys who walk around at one hundred seventy five. 80 pounds, they dropping that much weight. That, and that, that worries me because I've never known a boxer to make weight and feel good the day before the weigh-in. Never. Yeah, it, it usually takes them a shit a week to get back. Feeling, you know, after, after killing himself. But yeah. I don't know. But it, it, it's, I just say, it's heartbreaking when you see all these guys dying in the ring because what people don't realize is Boxing's in danger. Yeah, that's true. Because, that's true. Because all it takes is bad. yeah. Dana White just has to say, "Look, no one's ever died in the UFC." How about it? Yeah, come come to the UFC. Your kids are safe with us. Hmm. So we 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 have to clean it up. But there's too much money. That's why Jerome Miller's allowed to box again. There's too much money. Yep. You know. Yep. I'll give you an example. I've got a friend. He's a middleweight boxer. His name's Liam Cameron. Was was a decent enough kid and probably should have achieved more and might still achieve more. But he got found with like minute traces of cocaine in his system and they slapped him with a four year. Wow. Four years for cocaine. And, and you're like, well, that could just be recreational. They find, what did right. they find? Steroids, growth hormone, EPO, and Jarrell Miller. Six months. Right. right. And they found, I remember when Chavez Jr. had marijuana in the system, and they gave him nine months. Crazy. So Canelo, Canelo had to take the beef, and oh, it, I didn't know what I was eating. What? I mean, you know? Yeah, millionaire boxers. You got a private chef. You know what you're eating. Yeah, you better know. <laughs> I mean, I can give you anything. Listen, it's 
it's ridiculous. And you know what, Greg, it gets to the point where you sit there and you go, can I even tell my fighters to be clean morally? Do I think my fighters are safe being clean? Right. Right. Exactly. Because I'm... You think now? Yeah, it gets hard. Yep. Now you want to compete, so you're like, shit, I might as well educate myself on this shit. Well, because... So, so there's a school of thought that says, let the boxers dope. And the reason they say that is, you you will be healthy in the long term if you can take the mm -hmm. stuff to take the the sting out of a training camp. Mm -hmm. You know, but then for me, I'm like, then you've just got to say everyone take what you want. But then, once again, boxing's in danger. Absolutely. You know, people get these enlarged hearts. They start falling over in the ring. Boxing's finished. But I don't know how you fix it. As as long as boxing's got all these guys who are just trying to do what's best for themselves, I don't know if we can fix that or not, man. I mean, the best you can do is keep keep coming up with complaints and keep trying to speak about it because it really is becoming a problem. I think with these guys dying this year, they're going to really start looking into that shit. Okay, so, so I'll give you an example, and then and th th this is one that, that that's pretty recent. There was a female boxer called Mia St. John. Yeah, I remember her. She comes out and she says, listen, I used to dope when I boxed. Right? She, just conf she confesses. She says, yeah, I cheated. And she's like, I knew yeah. other guys in and around that circle that she used to move around with who were boxing and yep. who were doping. Yep. So a journalist in this country, instead of saying, actually, do you know what? Let's investigate this just assassinates her character. Yep. Says, look, this woman was a playboy with this, playboy with that. You know, she wasn't even that good a boxer. Da, 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 da. And you're like, no, no, no. How about you tell us, do you think what she's saying is credible? Right. And everyone, and down, yeah, all the trainers I spoke to in boxing just tried to shut me down. They're like, nah, listen, boxing's clean. That's the end of the discussion. And I'm like, no, it's not. No. No, it's not. Nah. Especially, listen, especially when you're doing, bo when you're boxing, you've been boxing so long and you have a wrestler's body or MMA-style body or NFL-style body, you know something ain't right. I used to always say, if you see a Mexican with abs, you know something ain't right. Because <laughs> every time I saw a fight of Chavez or, you know, Mexican fighters from back in the day, Never had abs the night of the fight. They might have looked like they had abs at the weigh-in because they was tear down. They was tore down. But the night of the fight, no abs. You remember when Marquez knocked out Pacquiao and he just looked like a different animal? Yep. Yep. My point exactly. Yeah. Shoulders was big as shit that night. Yeah. He definitely wasn't taking any chances that night, was he? <laughs> not at all <laughs> but you know Greg here's the crazy thing right all these VADA people they test you before the fight they test you after the fight yeah but VADA of all people know the worst thing to have in your body before you're due to weigh in or to fight is a shitload of steroids in you normally right by the time you start camp man all that stuff's out of you you don't even need it for camp you right. might take a bit of growth hormone, but the problem with taking growth hormone is this. If the testers come and test me now, 
I know they ain't coming back for three or four weeks, right? Right. So now I'm on the growth hormone all day, every day. But the great thing about growth hormone is it's out your body in 10 hours. Wow. So, wow. So the testers can come every day, 7 a.m. if they want to. I will never pop for growth hormone. Wow. That's why, that's why Jerome Miller, the whole Jerome Miller thing is insane. Like, how stupid did that guy have to be? Right. Yeah, you, listen, growth hormones out your system in about 10 hours, 10 to 15 hours. Like, there's certain steroids you can take. They're out your system in 18 hours. Gone. Untraceable. Wow. And then the craziest one of all, like, if you're from, like, like China, Japan, and all those sorts of that part of the world, eight out of 10 of those people... They don't even have the shit that shows up in the test. So they can take this stuff and never fail a test. Mm. That shit is crazy. <laughs> We're in a crazy world, man. It's crazy, man. Hey, but look. Look, it's been a pleasure. I've just realized that, you know, it's late at my end. But great. I'm glad we finally got to do this. And we're going to do this again. Likewise, my friend. Yeah, and I'm definitely coming to Philadelphia, man. I, 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 need to, I need to just take it all in. I can't wait, bro. <laughs> no, no, it'll be, it'll be a good time, I promise you. Listen, tell people yeah. where they can get hold of you before. Oh, man, I'm on uh, Facebook under Greg Hackett. I'm on Instagram under Greg Hackett 86. And I'm on Twitter under Greg Hackett 215. And guys, honestly, if you, if you, want, if you want to hear an intelligent boxing voice... This is the man to follow. This is the start and end of it. Like, I can give no higher recommendation than that. You'll, you'll listen to him speak and there'll be something you'll take away and go, I've learned something new today. Appreciate that. No, no worries. No. So it's just best for me to sign off, guys. Thanks for listening. And, you know, interact with Greg by all means. Follow him. Get involved. I, I thoroughly recommend him. And thanks for listening. My man.